Hi, it's Lucy here and welcome back to another episode of The Real Girls Club, my podcast series where I interview inspiring women working in the film industry about their careers. In today's episode, I'm lucky to be joined by not one, but two creative, talented minds, Molly Vandermeer and Dr. Parvinder Shergill. Molly is an award-winning London-based director, writer and producer, and Parvinder is a medical doctor within psychiatry. She's also a writer, film director, producer and actress. Molly and Parvinder recently joined forces on their short film 12, a drama about an eating disorder help group. In today's conversation, we talk all about their career beginnings, the relationship between creativity and health, and of course about their short film 12 and what inspired it, and so much more. I think you're going to feel really inspired after today's episode because I sure did. Just a quick disclaimer, this episode discusses eating disorders and mental health related issues, which may be triggering for some people. So what I noticed really about like when I was researching about you guys is that you both have really impressive resumes. Molly, you've studied English literature and history of art and also screenwriting and filmmaking. And Parvinder, you're also an NHS doctor and psychiatrist. But I'm just curious to know why you both chose film and what was the starting point for you both that made you want to get involved in filmmaking? Molly, you always go first. I think that'll be easier. Paul, you go for it. (laughs) You do it. Okay, fine. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I was always interested in going into theatre or I loved creative writing. Um, But then when I got a little older, I got involved in acting. And then through that, I got onto some film and TV sets. So that kind of really inspired me because I loved that environment. And I found a few weeks ago an interview I did after I was in this, I was like a very small part in this film and I sent it to Parv and it was so funny, like my little quote (laughs) as a nine-year-old about being on a film set. And I was like, I knew then (laughs) that was what I wanted to do. Um, Only nine, wow. Yeah, and then... Yeah, so that's how I kind of got interested in it. And then in terms of why, I think for me, it's kind of twofold. So firstly, I think films are such a great way for people to escape. So if they're going through a hard time or if they just want some escapism for a bit. Um, So as a child, again, I was constantly reading and watching films or making people act in my plays that Mm -hmm. I made. So I think it's so amazing for people to be able to get lost in these worlds that people create um, for however long a film or book uh, lasts rather. Um, And they can also be super moving and inspirational. So lots of times people can come away from watching a film like, oh, I'm gonna go do really well today at X, Y, and Z, because that's what's been involved in the film. Um, And then secondly, I think it's, film is such an important medium as it's so imperative for change because it forms such a huge part of our cultural identity and education. That's how lots of people learn about different cultures, different countries, different people and different events, even historical events. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important that these films are not just really beautiful and entertaining, but Mm -hmm. also challenge things like, and Parv and I are really big on making films that challenge stereotypes, any biases, et cetera, that Mm -hmm. we come across in kind of everyday life. And I think it's so important to expose people to stories that they wouldn't otherwise know about. Mm -hmm. Um, So my favorite quote about the ethos I kind of live by is, your characters are vehicles for empathy. That was by Mm -hmm. Deborah Francis White. So I think it's important to have these characters that expose people to ways of thinking and things they haven't experienced and it makes people better humans. Um, I was talking to someone recently, there was this study that came out saying that people that read a lot have a lot better empathy, um, Mm -hmm. much higher empathy skills 
than people who don't read because you're put into other people's shoes and you see life through their eyes mm-hmm. yes that's, that's a, an amazing answer a great start thank you <laughs> I totally agree <laughs> with all of that um, and I totally agree with the whole um, side of film being a way of escapism but also like yeah like a mirror of reality but also like a door maybe into one you know ones we've not seen before realities we've not been like been able to experience before so Parvinder how about you yeah I mean Molly's answer was so articulate I don't think mine's (laughs) going to be as fantastic um so I it's weird I it's the only thing acting has been the only thing I remember honestly since I was like three years old like that's the only thing I remember ever wanting to do and I think it's strange when it hits you it just it does hit you and whatever it is your passion is and I didn't have anyone in the family, you know, who is creative. Everyone's got very serious jobs. and um, But my dad, it would be a way to bond. So my dad is, you know, wears a turban. He's South Asian. You know, I come from a very strict traditional family. But mm-hmm. um, he used to, our thing would be going to the cinema. And um, that was my bonding session with him. And I've really actually thought, been thinking about it the last few years, like uh, analysing why at such a young age I wanted to do acting. And I think it was just that... Um, just that immense pleasure of just literally going in the cinema with my dad and it'd be like an event and we would just analyze films together and it was our time together um and I think that's really why and I think as I've got older you know I'm I'm brown um and I knew from a very young age and it's a weird thing you know from a very young age when you're sort of different and I knew I would not be accepted into Hollywood if I simply went into acting straight away and I don't mean that as a pessimistic you know oh look at me sort of thing I saw it as okay well this is an obstacle how do I go around it and then as I got older I realized I needed other skills to be taken seriously you know one I'm a woman and one I'm brown Mm -hmm. so um for me that was my journey and through that journey you know I went into academia and literature because I also have that interest um so I did philosophy and then I did medicine and I I ended up finding a love for writing which I didn't used to so writing for me is very personal so through those sort of avenues, I then became a screenwriter and then later on became, as well as trying to be an actor and going to acting school whilst, you know, juggling um, my other career, it's, um, I learned actually the value of film and it was through my patients because, you know, I would just watch my patients and they're in bed most of the day and what do you do when you're in bed? You watch TV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you listen to radio or podcasts and I really really connected with that in the healthcare system and how actually how creativity is so important and actually it doesn't matter where you're from what you look like your sexuality your gender your race you know your health everybody in some way depends on creativity as their support system Mm -hmm. and so through the NHS I realized um you know how it's lacking in that bridge between film and healthcare and for me the NHS so that's when I started going to filmmaking as well as trying to wait for, you know, these roles that are so hard to come by. And then I went into directing and producing and screenwriting through that way and trying to connect that bridge. And I think especially through the pandemic, it's been something I've really, because a lot of my patients I work in mental health have been in hospital for 20 years, you know, and that is their life. And so for me, I try to bring the creativity to them, you know, in the wards. And it really makes a difference. And I think, you know, during this time, you know, worldwide, and this is the thing about film, it touches everyone. And this is the beauty of film. It doesn't matter where you are. Like I've been in the jungle of Amazon and somehow, I don't even know how, they had a projector and they were watching the film. And I was like, how is this happening? And I think that's the beauty of film because there's magic there, you know, magic since I was a little girl and there's still magic when you're an adult and, and for many people. So 
for me, I think, you know, on a personal note as an actor, it's the only thing I love truly, truly that makes me excited and scared. And um, mm. I can't help that. That's just whatever your passion is in life. That's my first passion. And then I think the filmmaking side, it's more of a rational sort of, I think, emotional thought in how I can give back really to those around me and those around me are you know my family friends and those um, who are unwell so for me it's more of how can I help the NHS by educating people so they don't you need know, to wait all these waiting times to go see a doctor because I know how hard that is and to kind of help with the mental health you know at home you know film coming to your house but then also on the filmmaking side how can I better educate them so if I have a daughter one day, she doesn't have to do a billion degrees to be taken seriously. So for me, it's also filmmaking side is how to educate the film industry um, for women, those of colour, you know, diversity, but also on the other side, the science side, how we can better um, be a partnership um, with film. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you guys should do all my podcasts because you're both very good <laughs> and you have great answers. I was wondering, actually, because you said so both of you, you know, started with acting and being interested in watching films and things like that. Was there any moment because like this is for me personally, I sometimes couldn't picture myself in any role. I only ever saw it as a hobby or something. I, you know, it took me a while to actually see it as something I could actually do as well or get involved in, even though I'm not right now currently working in film. But, you know, it took me a while to actually, you know, make that connection that, oh, I could actually do this, too. And I think that was maybe well for the lack of representation of seeing women doing things in film and not seeing it really you know in the mainstream media so did you both have a similar feeling where you just it took you a while to be like oh okay actually I can do this too um I think yeah totally the lack of representation is so tough for anyone any women or people of marginalized genders anyone of any race you know any people Mm -hmm. that have disabilities it's so tough um because all you see is white straight men at the top mm. coming through so I think it is so tough to visualize yourself doing it um Pav is amazing at doing this as well just being like believe that you can do it and believe in yourself um that's come much harder for me but I guess for Pav with your mental health background you're much better at kind of championing yourself and others around you which is one of your big talents <laughs> very sweet um, <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, I agree with Molly. I agree with you both. Like, I think it's ridiculous. I think just being born, you know, you're automatically placed in a different hierarchy, you know, just being a woman, Mm -hmm. it automatically, and it shouldn't, it places you somewhere beneath a man. And I mean, that's ridiculous in itself. And certainly I've had that loads. Um, You know, I've only ever wanted to do acting and it is really hard when you're so aware of society and kind of the boundaries they enforce on you and they condition onto you, you know, um, and I'm very aware of that. And for me, um, you know, I've always been tackling that. And I think, unfortunately, as women, we're always going to have to tackle that. Um, I, I think until, you know, this, you know, this world is, you know, you wake up and no one thinks about, you know, equality because everything's equal. I think, you know, until that day happens, we still have to be, without people other realizing we have to have these micro you know fighting aggressions every single day mm-hmm. um but especially when I was a teenager and you know you, you have to make that big decision don't you when you you get to a levels if you get there and like where do you go for uni I, I remember very clearly at 17 thinking about my life and thinking if I go to acting school now I will never be able to financially support myself as a woman independently um, I will be chewed up and spat out and I, I was very aware of that as well because I, I was a very shy person growing up and I think yeah. 
you have to have so much strength to enter this industry because um and it's for another podcast but because there are, there isn't hr there isn't safeguarding you don't have a headmaster or mum or dad to look after you you know you've got to enter by yourself and you're you're yeah. thrown into this life where there are, are absolutely no boundaries you can have any cv in the world or come from prison or you know anything mm-hmm. um and that's one aspect that's very exciting about this career that you can be anyone quite literally anyone um and make it in this industry but that's also terrifying so I, I remember being very clear and thinking the only film I personally recall was Bend It Like Beckham that I saw myself in. And that was one film. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, still to this day, it's just celebrated the 20th anniversary. Still no other film. And I find that so shocking. Mm-hmm. But then also like, wow, this this is the industry somewhere where you think it's so creative and modern. But actually, if you really look at the systemic root of it, nothing has changed from when it was created. Um, so I was very aware of that at that age and I think as women anyway we, we're very aware right um, kind of what roles are forced in us you know naturally we're not seen as the director or the camera woman or mm-hmm. the gaffer or the editor um, and right. I think there's been a lot of conversation now about you know why why we're not actually what is it it's only the third director in Hollywood that's won an Oscar I mean the third female like I find yeah. that really bonkers to me mm. um and I think the only I think first or second woman of color as well and um we it's just there's a lot there's a lot and I think any any from wherever marginalized background you're from there's so much change that needs to happen and I think I think the conversation is really important. I'm going off the topic and I don't want to go off too much, but it's such an important conversation. But I think it's having that conversation. And also, I think, yeah, as Molly said, we can be anything we want. And the thing is, you have to do it. So like for me, no one's going to give me the role. So no one's going to give me my first screenplay. So I've got to go out there and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best advice I was ever given was this director when I was trying to start out. And he said, do you want to be a director? write your film go direct it there you go and it was such simple advice and I thought my god yeah you're right like why are we waiting for a man to give us this opportunity we need to create it ourselves Mm -hmm. and like this is the beauty like Molly and I we've come together and we've created something where it puts women at the top you know women in front of the screen and behind the screen it doesn't matter where you're from it doesn't matter what you look like or your age you know one of our actresses is 62 um and she has a really pivotal role um Molly and I are both dyslexic like you have to embrace what you what you are as a person because you're so special and the thing is with this industry people forget that but the reason anyone makes it or anyone creates anything is because it's unique every project is unique no matter how you look at it and we are unique and we are powerful so um, I'm going off on one but my point is yes I absolutely echo what, what Molly was saying um, but it shouldn't be the case but I think we need to just keep supporting also one another I think even as a woman if you've made it whatever that is what that means to you you cannot forget where you've come from and you cannot forget the other women who are trying because the worst thing you can do is then get too comfortable and shut the door you know behind you and that's Mm -hmm. the worst thing to do because you're not you're not helping history here and you're not helping the future Mm -hmm. yeah you definitely have to help people up rather than pulling the ladder up behind you and it's a weird industry as well because it's not really prioritised in many schools unless you go to kind of um, an artistic school. Mm-hmm. So, for example, for me, I was very much pushed down the academic route. So I went and did English and History of Art Uni, was planning on doing law. And then after I finished my degree, I was like, wait, hang on a second. Do I actually want to do this or do I want to do something more creative? So mm-hmm. I think exposing younger people to seeing people that look like them doing the roles and also advertising the roles that can be done 
because mm-hmm. no one knows anything about film even most of my friends are like what do you do sorry <laughs> yeah I have to say you're right like when I think about um at school like high school I mean I went to like a I know in England you call it a public school when it's actually private so I always get that confused but basically it's a public school but it wasn't private um so yeah and uh you know there is no such thing as like a filmmaking class like you had art or you had music but um it wasn't like encouraged and I think yeah it's something you would have to sort of discover later but then it was never like oh women can do this you know so you just didn't know about it and you didn't think it was like even consider it as an option so I'm wondering how um to bring me on to my next question, um, as you were saying, you sort of you, you both came together um, with this idea. So how how was the collaboration between you both like formed? Um, so it's actually um oh my gosh, it's actually mad. Molly and I actually met last year. Gosh, it feels like years ago. Oh what my gosh, was... yeah, my god. Every time I remember that, I think, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> it was last year, very early. I think late winter, early spring, it was like January, February time. Gosh, it's gone, gosh, it's gone quick. And um, we were on this short film and I think Molly was the AD and I was an actress in it. And I didn't know anyone on it, but I think for me, I'm very instinctual. Like there are certain people I know, um, I get very drawn to kindness. And I think because I work in mental health, empathy and kindness is very important. So I remember walking away from that film and I remember thinking Molly is someone I want to know in life you know whether it's a friend or as a colleague and um that was very very evident to me and I I messaged her it was a sort of around I think it must have been April time or March or April and I I said to Molly I was like look I really want to work more closely with you on something a project um you know no, no idea what it was or what our roles would be just like can we have that conversation and Molly was great like she I didn't know how she'd react you know because I hadn't really had a chance to probably speak to her on the set and um she was very warm about it and she's like absolutely and it really I think sometimes when you know and it sounds a bit cheesy like we're getting married but sometimes when you know you know and um from that conversation genuinely organically this film that we made happen you know Molly had this script of 12 and her laptop from like three years ago um I had a read of it and like I knew and I always go with my gut and I was like this is the project and um and from there, you know, in that same year, about what five, six months later, we were on set making it. And um, so it happened very organically and very fluidly and um, very naturally. So for those that haven't seen 12 yet, how would you summarise or give a synopsis um, of what 12 is about? So 12 is a short film about Ravina, who's a South Asian girl who attends an anonymous eating disorder group where she meets a diverse group of service users and um they share sort of their journey okay so how did the idea for 12 like come to life I suppose that's more Molly's question because she wrote it sorry Molly's answer sorry (laughs) oh my gosh Molly I didn't know you left right so I was like Molly do you want to answer and I think you're being polite so I just (laughs) (laughs) oh no sorry I don't know what happened my wi-fi died so sorry but um okay uh what was the question sorry 12 um you've come back at the perfect time because it's sort of a question kind of directed at you I guess because um just asking about how the idea for 12 came to life because it was you you that wrote it um, I believe Uh, so um I wrote this story a couple of years ago I have lots of people around me in my life who have sadly suffered from eating disorders and lots of people that have suffered from other mental health conditions that kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm. with eating disorders so it's kind of inspired by them and also trying to counter the sensationalized and stereotyped way that eating disorders are shown on screen mm-hmm. um, 
and it's not shown in a diverse way at all. You know, if you think of um, every film about a young girl with an eating disorder, it's a young teenage white pretty girl with anorexia. There's not really anything out there for um, more diversity. So I just really wanted to show the reality of who suffers, not just women, men as well, people of marginalised genders, people with disabilities, and people of all kind of weights, heights, sizes. It's not just the very underweight um, teenage girl. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's interesting that you say that because when you, when you just said, um, you know, the typical character, um, the film I was literally thinking of before you said that was one I watched on Netflix called To The Bone. Yeah, and she had to, she also lost, it's so problematic, I hate that one. She lost so much weight and she, the actress, she has a, eating disorder is quite open but then she lost loads of weight for the role so it's just so you know it's actually more damaging I I mean I thought it was quite a good like film it wasn't you know amazing but it was you know for what it was trying to say I thought it did it quite well but it's probably such a complex subject that you know it was like like you said it only kind of covers one aspect of it there's so many different types of eating disorders and you know it's not just that you know someone with medical training like PARF who sees these disorders every day so there's new ones coming out um, now that aren't properly recognized by certain medical institutions yet. Um, PARF what was the one that we had um, Jill have? I always forget. Orthorexia. Oh, orthorexia. Mm. Yeah, orthorexia. So there's things like that and like men having eating disorders in the way I personally am really interested in the way that um, addiction also goes intertwined with mental health conditions like eating disorders so substance abuse often goes hand in hand with those things well maybe not often Parv will be able to speak to it but with lots of the people I know who've suffered from these things it's not just one issue they have it goes through every element Mm. of their life yeah often uh, I think an eating disorder is an underlying mental disorder I mean maybe I'm not a doctor so maybe correct me on that but I feel like it is you know they're quite closely intertwined with each other yeah I mean you get a lot of comorbidity so like um you know you can get psychosis OCD OCD is very difficult to distinguish with um eating disorders you know the um, signs and symptoms are very complex but Mm. um you know what Molly was saying was you know I think in film and we get it because film wants to always dramatize things I think sometimes but that that comes also with a lack of education and mental health in film um, you know, you, we always say you have a first aider, but where's your mental health aider, you know, on mm-hmm. set? And um, so the thing is, if you think about yourself, we all have mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone does. Um, and it's just on a, it's on a range. So it's like your blood pressure. You have a sort of range that's normal for you. And sometimes it's a bit high. Sometimes it's a bit low. And sometimes it crosses that range for yourself. And it's the same with mental health. But the majority of the cases with eating disorder, you don't see this dramatic, you know, fainting or your, you know, you're literally just bones or, you know, you're, you're institutionalized in a hospital. That doesn't actually typically happen often. If you think about yourself and people you know, what normally happens, it's a day-to-day struggle, actually, you know, getting to school, getting to work, the conversations, your mood, your sleep, your eating pattern, mm-hmm. you know, how you view yourself, that sort of internalization. I think that's what's lacking in film with mental health. It's that sort of day-to-day subtlety, but that is actually what is going on and that struggle mm-hmm. um, and that awareness that you have. And also the recovery side, you know, what actually happens? You never know in film, you know, you, you see this dramatic end 
um, and then that's it. But then what happens after? You know, what happens once you've got the diagnosis or or you, you have to admit to yourself something's gone wrong? Or how do you, yourself and those around you, view yourself and the signs and symptoms and that awareness? So with this particular film, which I think was so genius, you know, for Molly, that's what she really wanted to concentrate on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a character that all of us, and that's what's so beautiful in the film, all of us will will connect with somebody here because they're all so different. But that's that's the point. They all represent all of us. And what would we do in this situation? How would we think? And um, it's not clear cut. You know, it's not simply anorexia. That's it. That isn't it. You know, you have the rest of your life and everything that goes with that. So as Molly was saying, you know, there's addiction. Some have comorbidities with other mental health. You might have depression. You might be suffering with anxiety. There might be other things going on in life. So you know, my characters. There's a whole, you know, complex sort of um, family dynamic in a South Asian culture that she's going through. Another, you know, family member has another cultural side. Another person's going through something else. And it's all of that intricate subtlety of being a human being, mm-hmm. but with mental health emphasis. And I think that is what film should be concentrating on. You can make a beautiful, beautiful mental health film. And it doesn't have to be you're strapped in tubes in a hospital bed because that is not day to day and that's not realistic. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to um, just draw out the beauty of um, human emotion on a day to day and also break down that stigma. So as Molly was saying, you know, you're not going to actually see a, a Caucasian teenage girl who's stunning, uh, who's got anorexia. That's not what you're going to see. You're going to see a black man who's suffering with an eating disorder mm-hmm. or you're going to see an addict who's in his 40s you know recovering you're going to see a South Asian girl you're going to see someone with a disability like so this is the whole point we're trying to normalize mental health in film um mm-hmm. on the screen and off it as well so and the beauty of this film is it connects like we always say this we had a lot of NHS supporters so you know my hospital trust has supported the film the Royal College of Psychiatrists which is our sort of board that we get our guidelines from and that I I have to um obviously work with in this country like they've supported the film we've had like film you know we've got filmmakers like Molly and experts on this film as well and it's so beautiful when two institutions that are so important um come together and actually support one another um and there's something very I mean that's unique do you know what I mean and I think Mm -hmm. that's why are we not doing that in film? Like, that really confuses me. Like, mm-hmm. if you're going to make a film about horse riding, you'd get an expert about horses, right? Mm-hmm. So why are we not doing, why don't we give the same respect to our work? So I think if you're going to make something um, that can trigger people, because, um, you know, if you don't do it right, you don't know how people, especially vulnerable people, view the film. You have a responsibility as filmmakers. So I think, you know, join forces with each other. Um, and I think you're, you're more likely to make a difference. I mean, that kind of answered what my next question was going to be anyway, because um, I was going to ask sort of from what point of view or angle did you want to show mental health issues and eating disorders? And I think from what I've gathered from what you, you're, you've been saying is that, you know, you want to show that it's like an all pervasive thing. It's, it's like it can be people from all walks of life, different people, different genders, different races, yeah. and different ages, yeah. and that it affects your everyday life. It's not just what people just think of as maybe like a really thin person. There's so many different types of it. Actually, another program I was thinking of that did quite a good job a long time ago was My Mad Fat Diary. That was like as much. Yeah. Yeah. We just really wanted to show the nuances and the kind of subtleties of what goes on. Um, And then 
also because it is a eating disorder help group, which is very similar to AA and NA. So Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, they kind of come under the same umbrella. Mm-hmm. So they function in quite a similar way, which why I was really interested in looking at um, people who have addictions, because people who have been going to AA or NA are more likely to know about Eating Disorders Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous, whereas anyone I've spoken to about the film is like, what? Like, there's an Eating Disorders Anonymous, like Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's interesting, even, and even it's very interesting, obviously, for PATH to look at these medical resources that are available to people and how they actually work. We'll be right back after this short break. And why not take this moment to go and follow the Real Girls Club on Instagram at Real Girls Club. I was thinking about you know how do you frame and like express these sort of issues when they're kind of going on internally and you can't always see it when you look at someone's like through a screen is it mostly just through really developed dialogue and also just showing them in situations and is a lot is it a lot of dialogue basically um yeah so because of the nature of this film um it is very dialogue heavy because it's shot mainly in real time and it's 10 people sitting in a room and the purpose of the room is to go and discuss things so that's what happens in real life in these spaces so it is dialogue heavy whereas with other scripts I do I tend to try and reduce the dialogue as much possible with this and there's a lot more kind of exposition because the characters do actually talk about their feelings because that's what you do in those groups Mm. so it's a really unique experience for a director and writer to actually be able to say often the characters are not saying truly how they feel um as I'm sure you can imagine but you know it's nice but I think I tried to leave as much to the audience's interpretation as possible mm-hmm. um and cut out things that were too on the nose or obvious so everyone can kind of draw their own conclusions and that's interesting for me I like doing that as a filmmaker because everyone who watches it brings their own experiences to it so people won't necessarily assume all the same thing they'll Mm -hmm. assume different things but yeah no and then I think a big part of it was obviously acting which Parv will be able to speak to but we spent a lot of time working on uh, mannerisms and backstories and just but not you know overtly dramatic about it but just kind of working on those small elements of characters and Anyone who saw the films that the actors, you know, and I believe so as well, did an incredible job of developing their characters. And they all came across, even the characters that didn't really speak. So obviously some characters speak a lot more than others. They still were so well developed, which was amazing to see. Um, And we also wanted to avoid any kind of overly dramatic portrayals of some of the mental health things that come about in these sessions as well. Mm -hmm. Like someone having a mental health crisis or relapsing from sobriety you know we don't do those kind of flashbacks and things like that in this film it's very Mm -hmm. much more real time in the present and kind Mm -hmm. of a bit more gritty I would say okay sort of it makes me think of that well one scene in um I may destroy you where there's a a sort of a episode when they're all in a circle I can't remember what actually what group it is though I think Uh, actually funnily enough (laughs) um Michaela Cole so she had an actor who I've worked with before and we got her in on this one. So she's in both the I May Destroy You episode where they did a um, help group that was kind of similar, but obviously for um, sexual assault. But yeah, Mm. no, 
I love her work so much. Oh, so. Yeah. Um, even being mentioned in the same sentence as her work is very nice. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> very flattering. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So I think the actors like Parv did an incredible job of not you know going overboard with things we left a lot of things unsaid and in the edit suite as well we cut out a lot um, and mm -hmm. played things so it was quite an open process one I love exploring internal worlds um, mm -hmm. externally and as subtly as possible so mm -hmm. just that's a key thing that I, mm -hmm. we tried to do with this one well as you you mentioned earlier you said you listened to my my episode with um, the uh, on-set counsellors um, which I'm really grateful for and I'm glad you enjoyed it so when I was speaking to these uh, mental health therapists they said that some people on film sets weren't coping well mainly due to COVID I think you know they were you know suffering burnout and things like that and they also mentioned that certain subject matters in films can be tr triggering to the actors which meant they you know required some counselling to help them get through it the woman was um, working on a a TV show called The Underground Railroad where there was a lot of, it was all about slavery and um, things like that. So, mm. you know, the actors find it hard. And I'm wondering for you, Parvinda, did you mm. deal with like similar challenges on 12? Yeah, yeah. no, 12, um, 12, I think because Molly and I handled it so sensitively from day one. So mm -hmm. we, we made like a PowerPoint presentation that we sent to everyone. You know, we made sure in the casting read-throughs, everyone was very, you know, aware of what eating disorders was and all the different categories. And, um, you know, we had a lot of dialogue individually with, you know, them all to make sure everyone was very safe. And a few people, you know, did, um, and I won't obviously break their confidentiality, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of the actors told me about if they knew anyone and, um, you know, Molly and I had those conversations with them and, you know, made sure they were okay and that nothing was sort of triggering anyone um mm -hmm. sometimes even if you know someone that suffered um it, you, you sometimes you don't know how it might affect you so we had those really sensitive conversations very early on with this sort of information pack and then what we actually did on the day which um I've actually never seen on any other sets right <laughs> apart from maybe I'm very conscious of it just working as a you know in mental health I always make sure we have those conversations and Molly's very good at that as well it's right at the beginning you know, we had a conversation with all of the crew together and all of the cast. And we just went through how, you know, if anyone at any point, you know, anything, if anything triggered anyone or they weren't feeling comfortable or safe. And the thing is, a set, you need to feel safe. The one thing I, I, I really do realise is people do forget about the crew. And um, crew also, you know, they are the heart of the film. They're on set all day. And I think people forget, even in theatre, to check on them so when you you know you prep your actors uh you know with your director um and you do the sort of the warm-up and the warm down I think people forget to also just make sure the crew whatever they've witnessed and they've heard and they've seen and visualized that they're also okay so what Molly and I did was um which I think every film set should do you know we took the crew aside and just made sure they were okay you know at the beginning and said if anyone has any concerns um basically to come and talk to Molly and I directly or myself um you know in mental health and we'll make that time for them mm -hmm. and we did the same with cast as well and I think because people felt incredibly safe and it did feel very safe if I'm honest you know it's a very calm it felt like a well-being set like someone said that to me it was just a really pleasant atmosphere even though we were dealing with such sensitive topics and you know there are scenes that are quite emotional and can bring up a lot I think because people felt they could come to us and there were there was somewhere to go or someone to talk to you um nobody actually I mean touch wood everybody was actually okay they felt really um 
I think sort of that virtual hug that sort of we were there Molly and I were protecting them like mother hens so they were okay and we even had BBC come on set and actually interview and a couple of the actors were very um, candid which was very you know it was incredible like they did actually open up about their personal um, sort of links with eating disorder which um, they didn't have to you know we never pressurized them to do that ever um, and they, but that's the thing because I think when you create an atmosphere of trust um, and value um, people do feel it was almost like people were sharing like it was a meeting group anyway between us all yeah um, so I think there certainly was that sort of open dialogue with everyone and um, you know everyone did trust each other even though they just met them so there weren't any issues actually on that set but I have seen you know as just an actor not as a mental health practitioner um, on other sets where things can go very wrong and people especially actors um they get very traumatized and um the thing is not just about the acts that you have to worry about because then actually it's a ripple effect it affects everyone else mm-hmm. um so i think you know i think molly and i tried our very best to do what we could um and do the best that we could to protect everyone but i think i think everyone should be doing that you know i think everyone needs to check in with each other because you don't know what's going on in each other's lives and you don't know how you're going to feel that day you know something That's might happen yeah and the world is such a um you know it's so fast moving there's so much happening and you know we're all on social media and visually we're consuming so much Mm -hmm. and we don't realize how much we're sort of taking in and how we might project that out so I think checking in one another is really important having that conversation Mm -hmm. yeah so what we kind of did as Paul said was from very early stages we sent out information packs about eating disorders and mental health and then we sent out also we warned people about the content of the script before Mm -hmm. sending it out so Mm -hmm. kind of like a trigger warning Mm -hmm. and we're on set as Parv said we gathered the crew and then the cast separately and had that chat about if anyone's feeling this is too much because it is it is tough Mm -hmm. and lots of people as Parv said disclosed to us that they were very close to people who'd struggled um so we were highly aware of that but yeah the we everyone said that they felt um really supported and like there was somewhere to go because we had not only medics on set but also a mental health professional in PAV and PAV obviously we know her as someone who would go out of her way to help someone so she's not and she's so friendly so people would have been able to go speak to her and I think some people did but in a different Mm -hmm. you know more of a um disclosing their stories rather than needing that help because of the film and everyone it was a very collaborative set as well I like to Mm -hmm. kind of curate that environment especially for actors performing in this intense environment and about these tough topics I think it's so important that it's very calm and collaborative Mm -hmm. that's yeah it sounds similar to what one of the on-set counsellors told me is that you know what you were saying earlier is that you don't really know you know where that person's come from that day or you know how they're feeling that day you know yeah so you've got to have all these sort of things in place because not everyone's coming in in a great mood or things are going good at home for example like you just don't know so you've got to like create the most sort of healthy environment at work as well yeah and I think what made Pav and I really push it on this one was we both had recently come off set where we'd had bad experiences of um, harassment and bullying or seen it so um we'd both come off those experiences like we want to do the absolute opposite like what would have helped in that situation Mm -hmm. so we want to do that with 12 and our projects going forward great that's that's the way it should be it's good to hear (laughs) um do you both 
think that are in this case cinema can mm-hmm. help to promote positive change with mental health issues or like in what way yeah could it help people other than maybe making them feel less alone with having a problem with something um um, yeah and I think it's an easy way for people to learn people who aren't well versed in these mm-hmm. issues I think it's a really easy way for people to digest this material and it often sinks in very subconsciously as well um, and obviously big budget productions kind of have a history of depicting med- mental health in a dangerous way so I think it's really important that people coming up and making these films as Parv said are experts in it so it's not just um as you say, with any other films, they get experts about whatever they're making it on. If they're speaking about a specific sport, they would get someone who knows about that sport in. (laughs) Whereas with mental health, I think people don't do that. Like if you look at films like Split and things like that, that was very recent. Um, So I think it can help. Um, And I think we also, with 12, what we did was the cast and crew very kindly donated most of their fees. So Mm -hmm. in a very practical way, we were able to donate money to eating disorder charities. So we donated money to Beat and Feast. So mm-hmm. in that very practical way, we were able to help with this like small production. I didn't actually get a chance to ask Parvinder in the beginning um, how, she's, how you've managed to balance being a doctor and then being interested in the creative industries, because I've always thought that the industries are so separate, like health is and medicine is that on that side and then arts is on that side but then I know that um, also in hospitals you know they have art therapy and things like that so obviously it's got a healing effect but how did you like manage to cross over the two? It's really interesting I get asked that question so much and I think it's again I think it goes back to the way we're brought up I think I don't think they're separate entities I think they're very similar so I, I know I'm simplifying this but to be an actor is the same as a doctor, right? You read a textbook and you regurgitate it out <laughs> just with different people. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same with acting. And the thing is at work, I'm not 100% myself. You play a role, you know, with every person you are. It's, it's like you're acting quite literally all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same. Like you have a hierarchy of whoever. You have a consultant doctor and then they have their junior doctors. You have like all this crew, this MDT, which we call it in the hospital, but it's your crew. Um, you know your patients are your cast your shining cast and I, I really honestly see it as exactly the same it's just that the pressure is you can't do another take because that's someone's life so for me it's like um, the industry if you want to call this the industry the film industry it's exactly the same except it's funny I, I, I'm saying about boundaries except that the problem is you have the luxury of doing another take after take after take but you don't have that security of HR or safeguarding all these experts which I think we do need to think about in the industry on a separate topic mm-hmm. um but I see it as exactly the same I think you know as I was saying you know when you're in a hospital ward what do you do all day you listen to music you watch tv you really depend on the creativity and that love and care you know there's pet therapy dance therapy etc but we all do it I mean we all do therapy why do we pick the job we love it's a form of therapeutic activity for us you know why do I love acting because I get something personal from it and I'm not saying you should use it as your medication or your your formal therapy but you get something out of it you know why do people want to do music you know even if you want to do math you find math therapeutic that is your lifestyle choice um so I see them as very similar and I think we shouldn't see them as separate um beings because they're not and I think the more we get comfortable and I think that's the biggest issue right so in film 
I always say every film you have mental health in it, whether you realise or not. So a superhero will always go through some catastrophic event mm-hmm. where they'll break down or they'll cry or have some emotional lability going on there. And then they come out of it and they rise from the ashes or rise from that depressive mood or anxiety, whatever. Um, so I do simplify things, but we it's everywhere. It's everywhere around us, you know. Um, why do you go meet a friend for coffee? Because it makes you feel better. You know, so we all of us are doing something without realizing, you know, why do we watch the same film that we love when we're unwell? Because it makes us feel good. Why do we listen to music on the tube? Because of whatever reason. So I think it's exactly the same. And I think science is a form of art. I think art is science. That's why literature, philosophy and science go so hand in hand, you know. Um and I think to be good at one thing, you have to be very open to the other. So mm-hmm. that's why I did philosophy. That's why I did medicine and um, acting school, because they all they all join forces with each other. And I think mm-hmm. um, children especially, you know, I, I love working with kids. I used to work with kids for years in the clinic. And you've got to be so creative as a doctor. You know, you can't expect a child a five-year-old child to sit and talk to a doctor and be like I'm having this symptom and I'm having this symptom and this one you know you've really got to um think laterally and you've got to really be flexible so I think to be a good clinician you've got to be creative and I think to be a creative you've got to be a good academic because you have to take interest and research what you're doing because Mm -hmm. as I said you have a huge responsibility and sometimes more so as a doctor in filmmaking Mm -hmm. because you don't know who's going to watch your stuff a little child might walk into the room and observe that you're educating kids from a very young age in film if you think about what you watch when you're a kid mm-hmm. like for me I watch a lot of Disney and that's completely like it's not good in the sense of as an independent woman you know thinking there's a prince out there so you know if you think about what you consume as a child um, and the power of screen and if you think about mental health you have the power and it's really exciting actually you have the power to educate children about racism faith sexuality mental health how to treat people from a very young age mm-hmm. and in a way you're bringing you're being a parent to that kid so you you know you have to really think about what you're doing and I think they I think we need to be a bit more um as I said I'm trying to make films with NHS like we made a documentary last year I think we need to not be so afraid um, in the NHS. I, I do find some people are slightly dinosaur-like. You know, they want that formal someone coming into a room and that's how you educate someone. And that's not the case. Like, you know, mm-hmm. gone are the days uh, people book an appointment, you know, especially in this pandemic. You educate people on podcasts, you educate them on radio and film. So I think clinicians need to be a bit more comfortable um, about what makes them human and how we can humanise uh, healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in the film industry, we have a lot of power to educate as well on mental health, as well as other things, you know, as mm-hmm. I said. So I think it's um, I think it's an exciting time. I think technology, you know, it's not going anywhere. Let's uh, be best friends with it and see what mm-hmm. good we can do from it. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you said about the fact that in a film, there's so much research that has to go into it. It's like, well, it does make sense to actually collaborate with these other industries that otherwise maybe we'd think we're separate from. Like, I remember being at university and I was studying film and communications and I had friends, you know, in like chemistry or math or something like, like, you know, more science-based subjects. Um, and I always considered myself quite separate to them. Like we're studying different things. But then I remember having a conversation, with my friend who was doing chemistry and she was saying, actually, it's very useful for us to interact more. Like we could actually help each other out, you know, with what we both know in both our own industries and stuff like that. Mm. So it's, you know, they're not as separate as we think. Um, 
I think one thing Parv always says, which is so amazing, is it helps. You said this a few weeks ago, Parv, it really grounds you because she literally goes from saving lives to being on a set mm-hmm. where producers are shouting, like, if we don't do this, if we don't get this done, we're going to lose X amount of money. So it really does help to have that hindsight, not hindsight, mm-hmm. but have that perspective to mm-hmm. kind of step back and be like, hang on is this warranting an effect on my mental health and my stress levels mm-hmm. for this when it's not actually life or death when it is mm-hmm. in film it is made to feel like that a lot of the time mm-hmm. um, I think we tried to Parv did a very good job of we were both quite calm I think everyone said every person that worked with us their main feedback was like the set was so friendly and calm we all the actors were like we've never not seen a crew member shout <laughs> like, <laughs> shoot, wow. like or people like sprinting about like shoot, they were like we could never we've never felt something so calm so mm-hmm. I think Parv's work as a doctor as well as well really helped that environment mm-hmm. yeah having that like level head sort of thing and yeah in terms of yeah because I, I remember like it's so funny I remember saying to someone I was like they were getting so angry they were like we need to get this take and I was like can we just take a breath? I was like, what's going to happen? No one's going to die. You know what I mean? And sometimes I say that and it sounds ridiculous, but it's the truth. Like, you know, we, I think people forget why you're on set. It's a pleasure. It's such a pleasure and honor to make a film. Like if you put things in perspective, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's just like, if I go into work in the NHS, if I make one mistake or if I literally don't do something in 20 minutes, but unfortunately someone could die. Mm. So I think sometimes when you go in that sort of, and I, I know it's, it, and I, again, it's crude, but when you go with that aspect and that perspective on set, you realise why you're there. And actually it's not life and death. We're making magic here. So let's enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And you also get better work out of people and you know better um performances out of people as well if they're not being like you know bullied or exactly. out. there was this one scene I did and Molly wrote was so kind to me because it was it was it was, it was quite emotional and it takes a lot out of you know it's exhausting and um but because Molly was so supportive of me and I felt so safe I genuinely think all of us did our best performance because mm. if you make someone terrified you know, how can you go to work and be terrified of someone? You're not going to get the best out of them and that's yeah. anything in life. Mm-hmm. And you can't traumatise people because especially an actor, you're so vulnerable, but you, yeah. you know, you, you, you can't have a director shouting at you and leaving you in that state because it's dangerous. And um, yeah, anyway, but that's just, um, Molly's fantastic because she really has that understanding, um, which again, I think it's because she listens and she researches and she's very open and to always uh, developing and getting better, which I think we all need to do and not have so much of an ego in this industry. And even our Mm. wonderful cinematographer, Gogana, she um, was amazing because she had a crew member who I've worked with before, but who hadn't been on set for a while. She was very patient, like helping people who are newer. So she was amazing. So it was like, we picked crew members well who would have that patience and we wanted to give Mm -hmm. people opportunities who hadn't had that many before because of various reasons, which ended up working really well. And then also because it means people want to do their best for you. I've been on sets where crews have just literally given up because the director's horrible, the producers are horrible, Mm. and everyone's just like, why am I doing this just to get shouted at? And then it it turns out to be a rubbish film, whereas if Mm. everyone loves you, they're going to work harder. Yeah, I watched a small documentary recently on Netflix, um, 
the making of uh, Power, Power of the Dog by Jane Campion. And it looked like the calmest film set ever. I don't know if it was just the nature of the film because it was quite a quiet film anyway with like not a lot of dialogue going on. Like it was quite a calm, still movie. But I thought, oh, I'd love to work on her film because it looks like it's really chilled out. And like, you know, because I think a lot of people have that image of film, and, uh, film sets to be, or TV sets to be really like high strung, stressful places. So... Yeah, Greta Gerwig's sets. If you've seen behind the scenes of her films, they're always like joking, very fun. <laughs> they look yeah. um, quite similar, not as quiet, obviously, but still, it looked much more joking around and stuff. Which is of whose film sets? Uh, Greta Gerwig. Ah, okay, yeah. So to round up this really interesting conversation that we've had, I want to know, apart from your up and coming screening that you've got um, happening on in London on the thirtieth of April. Uh, of 12 what are your future projects are you continuing to um what's the word <laughs> screen this film like across the country sort of thing like at festivals or um like yeah. have you yeah, have screenings or have you got other things in the pipeline uh yeah so a bit of both really we're mm-hmm. um, doing the festival circuit with 12 and then we can't say too much about it <laughs> Bath will tell me off but mm-hmm. we're looking at developing the idea of 12 a bit further as well um and then we're also working on some other ideas together like things like for features and series and then um yeah I've got a few other films that I'm working on independently but we're definitely continuing to collaborate that's great it's exciting I'm looking forward to seeing what you both come up with next and how do you hope the future of cinema to look like for women working in the industry and mental health on screen go for it Pav so I, I definitely want to come onto set and it be at least 50% women <laughs> because the amount of times I've gone on set and I'm the only woman, I really want it to be more equal. Um, I want people not to be blinkered if they see a female director and writer. You know, I want it to be a norm at the Oscars and Academy Awards that women are winning and it's not just because people are saying they're a woman, it's because they deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really hope diversity, and I mean not just diversity with, you know, actors colour of their skin, but disability, mental health, and I want it to be a normal. I want it to be you go to work and you don't even second guess, you know, what's going on. And I really, I really want the future of film to be diverse, female, and a safe place. Great. Yeah, I think um, as was mentioned on the podcast you did a few weeks ago, the best way to target it is to have someone on set who people can go to for bullying, harassment, mental health issues that they feel safe to speak to. Because often if you're having those issues, you have to go to the people higher up who, if you're like a production assistant, you're going to be terrified to go to an executive producer. Um, And often they have a close relationship with the people who are heads of department who are often the ones doing these things, sadly. Like I've never come across a single person who hasn't witnessed or being bullied or harassed on sets. So that's still unacceptable. And I think increasing diversity on that will really help um, reduce that as well. And then I think also the onus shouldn't necessarily just be on us, the people making films like Parv and I to change. It should be those in really privileged positions should be looking at that teams and thinking, how can I make this more inclusive in terms of gender, disability, race, sexuality? So it shouldn't just be the people coming up in the independent film. It should be the people already at the top mm-hmm. thinking, oh, what can I do to make a better landscape um, so that people can create this much better art really at the end of the day because it will only improve the films that we're making and the environments in which they're made 
those are both sorry my voice is going there and <laughs> both really great <laughs> answers yeah it makes me think of also people like that are already at the top like doing things like um Reese Witherspoon's got a great you know yeah. company Hello Sunshine where she's really like prioritizing female stories and yeah. written by females directed and all all that so yeah I mean there, there could be more but there there are some already I guess um so it's changing but slowly are there any filmmakers or uh, women in film that you are like excited about or any like any films to come that you're like oh I'm really looking forward to seeing that or um for me yeah Greta Gerwig is a favorite of mine yeah. I love um Melina Moussakas, I can never pronounce her name right, um, who directed Queen and Slim and has done mm-hmm. some Beyonce music videos. She's amazing. Um, Queen and Slim was incredible. Um, I love Mina Shum, who works with Sandra Oh quite a lot. Her um, film that I've just watched is Meditation Park. Um, and then, yeah, Mich- uh, Michaela Cole, I love. And Russell T. Davis is always good, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, there's amazing people out there like Ava Devaney as well mm-hmm. um, and Karen Ben-Raphael who just made a film called, well, not just a few years ago, called Virgins and I think she's working on something new. And then all the up and coming people that we've worked with really, it's been mm-hmm. incredible. So I'm excited to see what they all go off and do. I'm going to fangirl, but genuinely I'm really excited to see what Molly's going to do because she's got such <laughs> incredible Aww. ideas. Like, uh, honestly, she's... Your number one fan. Anyone that's listening, oh, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I'm the number one fan. She's <laughs> someone to watch out for. Oh, that's Thank great. You. But yeah, no, I'm excited to see what Parv and I do next. Um, and yeah, all of Parv's projects, like she's just been on Coronation Street. Oh, wow. Stuff got amazing things you've got very very busy schedules it's yeah. <laughs> funny that you mentioned Greta Gerwig because when you were talking earlier about that you like to put on plays for other yeah. people I can't remember if it was you and Molly or women, yeah and it made me think of Little Women straight away yeah Little Women is actually funny enough one of my favorite books um my right. granny mm-hmm. I haven't book. read it yet I really need to oh it's really good so yeah that's um <laughs> when I saw that on screen again I was like oh my god it was me <laughs> Well, that was really nice speaking to you both and I wish you all the best with your your doing the festival circuit and the screening in London and everything and yeah thank you so much for chatting with me today thank you thank you thank you for having us thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode don't forget to follow and rate this podcast on Spotify and follow for updates on Instagram at Real Girls Club 